Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. How wonderful it is to see you return yet again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got an interesting item. This, if you'll look over here on the wall, we have a uh, selection of framed maps from various lands and various time periods in history, but this one in particular, you may look at this and it looks like a... A, a bit of an island range in the Pacific Ocean. This is the Bikini Atoll. Most notable for two things. The namesake of the swimwear and the testing grounds for the atomic bomb post-World War II. And it is the latter that has caused much horror both in real life and in fiction. And of course, no country knows the horrors of atomic weaponry more than the island nation of Japan. And it is that history that has sparked a new lore that has haunted and thrilled moviegoers for decades. So without further ado, let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, Godzilla Minus One. Godzilla Minus One is a movie that came out last week, about a week ago today, and it's a movie that I didn't really have on my radar. Uh, when I think back, I remember hearing some things about this because this movie was actually released in Japan, uh, I believe earlier this year. It didn't make its uh, release here in the United States until, like I said, about a week ago. But it's not a movie I'd heard a lot about. It wasn't until, I can't remember which movie it was. One of my, one of the last movies I went to the movie theater to watch for the podcast, I actually saw the trailer. It was one of the trailers for this movie. And that was my first real introduction to this movie. And I thought, oh, wow. This looks really good. I mean, it's not your typical uh, Hollywood Godzilla movie, the movies that have been coming out uh, through Legendary Pictures. Uh, this is a, a Japanese, Toho, uh, the producers and the film studio that have put out Godzilla movies since it first began put this out. Now, there was a, a deal between Toho and Legendary that Toho wouldn't put out uh, any Godzilla movies uh, until after 2020 because that was about the time Legendary was coming out with their, their Godzilla movie, their Kong movies, all the subsequent sequels and crossovers, Godzilla King of the Monsters, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. We've got a new one coming out next year, which I'm actually going to touch on uh, towards the end of the podcast once we get into the spoiler section. But uh, Toho was kind of kept from, from doing any Godzilla movies. I think the last one they did was in 20. 14 or 2016 I think it might have been 2016 Shin Godzilla not a movie I had watched and when I saw this uh, I thought oh wow this is going to be really good it's going to be interesting because it is a Japanese movie so it is in Japanese and you have to watch subtitles and I'm I'm very 
I'm very selective about that because there are some movies that, you know, I just want to be able to drink in the visuals and not have to worry about reading subtitles the whole movie. So I, I'm really leery about that, uh, especially when I'm going to the movie theater. Uh, but, you know, I was like, this looks good enough. I'm going to take a chance that I'm not going to lose anything in trying to focus too much on the action on the screen and missing subtitles or spending so much time looking at subtitles that I'm going to miss the action on the screen. Uh, and and I, I tell you what, it was so worth the risk, if you can call it a risk. I mean, come on. Uh, but the... The action is such and the, the dialogue is such that you really, you have time to read the subtitles. You have time to take in what's on the screen. It really was a, a wonderful watch from that aspect and a wonderful watch in general from a sci-fi kaiju monster movie. It was enjoyable to watch. And from a human element, it was very enjoyable to watch. I, I think... What this movie does that I think a lot of the Hollywood Godzilla and Kong movies uh, just have kind of missed the mark on. It's not that I haven't enjoyed Godzilla or the Kong movies or, you know, Godzilla King of the Monsters, Godzilla vs. Kong. I've enjoyed those movies. They are visual spectacles to behold. And I like the characters for the most part, but I like the characters because I'm supposed to like them. I'm supposed to like that guy because that's the guy from Breaking Bad. I, I'm supposed to like that girl and root for her because, oh, that's the girl from Stranger Things. Uh, but from a storytelling standpoint, I, I just am less interested in the human element of some of these Hollywood Godzilla productions than I should be. And, and these are, are characters that if you're spending so much time on the screen with them. And anytime you're spending precious time on screen with the human element, you're not showing the monster that people are paying the tickets for. And if you're going to spend that time away from the monsters that everyone wants to see, you damn all better make sure it's a good story. And I just think some of the Hollywood productions haven't put out good human element stories that, that have made me care. That is where this movie is leaps and bounds above and ahead of anything that's going on with Legendary and the, the Hollywood monster movies. Because one, they had a really good monster movie, but they also had a great human story with this. And a human story that they spent a lot of time away from Godzilla to focus on these human characters. But the story was so compelling that I didn't care that I hadn't seen Godzilla in 20 or 30 minutes because I was so invested in these characters and so invested in their story that I didn't mind that I saw Godzilla. I, I knew I was going to see him eventually. I knew, you know, we're not going to go too terribly long without a Godzilla attack. And, and you didn't. But I cared so much about these characters and their story and their relationships that... It was okay that I didn't see Godzilla the whole time where in some of those Hollywood productions, I'm like, okay, let's let's wrap this up with the, the human story and I want to see some monsters knocking down buildings and blowing shit up. So without going into too much detail, because I'll save that for the spoiler section, this movie is about uh, essentially two stories. you got the story of Godzilla and his origins you've got the story of this disgraced kamikaze pilot it's at the end of world war ii he kind of finds himself in a makeshift family not of his own design and you have these two 
entities, this makeshift family unit and Godzilla on this collision course. And wow, does it collide. (laughs) And it's just, like I said, a very good story from a human aspect. It's a very good story from a monster aspect. You get to see kind of how Godzilla came about, how he became the powerful monster he is. And again, I'll I'll dive a little more into about what you're seeing on the screen once we get into the spoiler territory, but it really is interesting from a lot of different uh, perspectives. It's an interesting story about the nation of Japan and the people of Japan and the resiliency after getting through World War II. And, and in World War II, their government was on the wrong side of things. But it, it was a very interesting story about how the decisions that governments make in leading countries into and out of wars isn't always the sentiment and it isn't always indicative of the people and what the people want or what the people uh, approve of. And, and I thought it was a really interesting look at the citizens of Japan post-World War II and banding together and, and a love of country and a love of one another, which that's a love of country isn't just a love of the government, isn't a, a love of some ideal. It is the love of your neighbors. You know, because it is people that make up countries. And it was a really lovely story that kind of delved into that. And Japan as a nation, uh, I, I hope, embraces this movie and, and that message that they have. And it's a, it's a message that we can kind of take a cue from here in the United States about, you know, what governments do what governments do. But... We have to be there for each other. We can't let governments and politicians divide us. We need to be strong. We need to be there for one another. We need to stand together, one another. We may have different ideas and different ideals, but we need to to stand together. And I think that is maybe the heart of this movie in some regards. Like I said, there are many different themes going on here, but that's one I really latched on to. But an excellent movie. I'm going to quit opining on uh, and trying to wax intellectual on a geopolitical rigmarole. We're going to get into this movie. But if you haven't watched Godzilla Minus One, you really need to check this movie out. Probably one of the better movies of the year. I'm not going to say it's the best movie of the year, uh, but it is one of the better movies of the year and definitely one of the better sci-fi movies of the year. They really delve into a lot of uh, lore of Godzilla. The first Godzilla movie came out in 1954, and this predates it by almost 10 years. This takes place in 1946, just after World War II, and so this really is the origins of Godzilla, to a degree. I mean, there's even origins beyond that that, like I said, we'll get into in the spoiler section, but uh, there's even more beyond that that you could explore as far as a an origin of Godzilla, but but this is the monster we know. This is kind of an origin story for that. So uh, if you love Godzilla movies, if you love monster movies, if you love good science fiction, if you love good stories about the human condition and, and being human, this is a wonderful movie. So go check it out. If you haven't watched it, do that. Come back, listen to my thoughts on Godzilla Minus One. If you have watched it, or you don't care one way or the other, you probably weren't going to watch it, but you want to hear what all the fuss is about anyway. Uh, we are going to continue on with some spoilers. So from here on out, we're heading into some spoiler territory. So the movie title, Godzilla Minus One, there's been a lot of questioning as to what this name means. Now, here's what I took it as when I first... Uh, saw the name and and kind of 
watched the movie and took it all in, I looked at it as the fact that Godzilla, the first Godzilla movie in the franchise, came out in 1954, uh, directed by Hishiro Honda. And I I don't know, I can't, it's been a long time since I've watched that movie. And, and I'm not going to say that I'm some big foremost expert on Godzilla, because I'm not. I watched several Godzilla movies as a kid. I remember going to the library in school, and there was a book all about like movies and things like that, and movie monsters, maybe. I, I can't even remember what it was, but I remember my friends and I like pouring over these pages and pouring over the section on Godzilla and seeing pictures, still frames from the movies of Godzilla fighting Ghidorah, Godzilla and Mothra, uh, things of that nature. And was always a fan of Godzilla. Like you said, never so much that I've seen every Godzilla movie, but I have seen... Different ones over the years, Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla, Son of Godzilla, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Those are some of the ones I remember watching. Uh, and then, of course, all the new ones that have come out from Legendary. But if you look at Godzilla's origin, it is 1954, and I'm assuming that movie takes place in real time. Uh, so you, you look at Godzilla as beginning in 1954 which would be Godzilla starting at zero, so to speak, where this is taking place in 1940. I mean, it begins in 46, takes place, you know, the next couple years after that. So this is going back even before the beginning of Godzilla that we knew. So you could kind of say it is Godzilla minus one. If 1954's Godzilla is zero, uh, the beginning, this is before that, which would be Godzilla minus one. That's kind of how I took it. The way I've heard it explained by the executives at Toho is that it's more of a commentary on Japan's morale during that time, post-World War II, because post-World War II, you had places like Tokyo that just had the, the bejesus bombed out of them. And, and you see that in this movie. You have the events of Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, and the atomic bombs that were dropped there. Japan's morale as a country was at zero. And in this movie, you know, you have the morale at zero from the events of World War II. And you have this big giant kaiju attack, this big giant monster attacking and destroying whatever's left of, of the country. And it's a commentary on the morale of Japan being, it's no longer at zero where they were because of World War II. It's now at minus one because you've got a monster attack on top of everything. So I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. You can probably look at it however you want. I, I like to look at it both ways. I think both really work and was very interesting. But like I said earlier, this movie kind of has two stories going on. You have this story between our main character, Shikishima. He is a disgraced kamikaze pilot in World War II. Uh, he didn't want to run his mission, so he pretended his, his plane was having problems and landed on this island where they're doing repairs. And that's where we get that first Godzilla attack. What I found was interesting is like it, Godzilla was huge. Godzilla was still big, but not 
to the levels that we're used to, and he actually looked more like a prehistoric dinosaur. He came up, I think he came up out of the water, but yeah, he was just more like a dinosaur. And we get to see him attacking uh, all the men there, and it, it plays into Shikishima's story that you know he has a chance to to possibly kill Godzilla. Probably not, because Godzilla is pretty hard to kill, and. Machine guns from a from a World War II fighter plane probably aren't going to do the trick, but he and a, another character, Tachibana, uh, they're the only two to survive this. And Tachibana is pissed off because all of his friends, all of his comrades in arms, these mechanics died because uh, Shikishima didn't fire his machine gun at Godzilla. And Shikishima goes back to, to Tokyo disgraced. But then they have the event where he runs into Noriko and the, the little baby, Akiko, and they become kind of this de facto family. Like she stays with him and just doesn't leave. And we see over the next couple years how they've turned into this family unit. They love each other, but he keeps her at arm's length because he's, you know, he's disgraced. Uh, the war hasn't ended for him. And that really dives into a lot of the the themes of this. I mean, they really dig deep into like PTSD, uh, survivor's guilt, the horrors of war, and uh, and he really becomes a very sympathetic character. You had this man who, uh, you know, he just didn't want to die in in a war that maybe he didn't even believe in. He certainly didn't want to die for a country that told him it was an honor to die for their cause. And and you automatically feel sympathy for him and, uh, and the anguish. I mean, they do show a lot of scenes where he's having nightmares and, uh, and breaking down uh, part and parcel because of the uh, Godzilla attack at that base early on. But he also has this pain inside of him of feeling like he let down his country, let down his brothers in arms. And it's, like I said, just a very complicated and very sympathetic character that you can see a redemption arc for this character early on. You're afraid that it is going to be him sacrificing himself for something he believes in as opposed to not sacrificing himself uh, for something he didn't believe in early on in the film. And I liked the whole big plan that he was going to fly this experimental plane craft that they loaded up with bombs and he was going to fly it into Godzilla's mouth and and kill Godzilla. And they, they played it like that. They played it like he was going to do this. And, you know, they did the whole story with... Uh, Tachibana coming in and, you know, against his better judgment, uh, working on this plane for Shikishima. And he's talking about how there is, you know, we've did this. We've uh, taken out an air tank. We've taken out a couple of the guns so we can put bombs here and bombs here. And we also, and then they cut to another scene. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, they put an ejector seat in. Because Tachibana has forgiven him. He understands that, uh, you know, forgiveness. Uh, there again, forgiveness is another big theme of this movie. Forgiving him, uh, forgiving uh, Shikishima for 
for what he did and Shikishima forgiving himself for what he did or didn't do. That is a huge theme throughout this. But you really saw that whole uh, ejector seat story play out. Uh, you saw that coming a mile away. You also saw the the whole attack when Godzilla attacked that city and Norco is there. She's She's been working trying to save money so she can get her own place and get out of uh, Shikishima's uh, hair even though they both want to live together and be husband and wife uh, that's quite obvious but when Godzilla attacks that uh, that town where she's on the train and he races there to to get her and bring her to safety and and she sacrifices herself you knew she wasn't dead <laughs> because you know if there's no body they're not dead but it was Still very heart-wrenching. The whole scene playing out, you just saw it happen and how they cut all the sound. And it's just, it was very, done very well and done very dramatically with the music. And like I said, when they cut the sound and the music and you're just seeing it play out with nothing, you're not hearing anything. It was, it was very powerful, which made even the ending, like you saw it coming uh, you knew the, the neighbor got the note and then she gives it to Shikishima and you knew Noriko was still alive. But that meeting at the end when he finally sees her and he's finally, you know, his war is over and he's finally able to admit that he loves her and him breaking down and crying. It's just, I got to tell you what, I got, uh, I got a little case of the feels during that, my eyes watered up. I did not shed a tear, uh, at least none that I'll ever admit to. But uh, but yeah, my eyes watered up. It was it was just so touching and done so very well because you had good acting. Even though you know I'm reading what they're saying through subtitles, their body language and the way they portrayed these characters was just done so well and with such emotion that you couldn't help but feel something. And I think that's one of the big differences between this movie and the legendary Godzilla and Kong movies is that you don't get any real emotion. There's no real story arc that I care about. Uh, there's no story arc that makes me care about these characters other than the fact that, well, they're the heroes, so I'm supposed to care about them. I'm supposed to worry about them. Maybe they do, in some regards, uh, an okay job. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I think some of the story with Millie Bobby Brown. I mean, and that that was okay. There was some a little bit of emotion. But, Jesus, when you want to talk about a story that is full of emotion and full of characters that you care about and full of... Uh, story arcs that that matter that that mean something that have something to say boy howdy did this movie do that in spades now that i've talked about the the human aspect of this movie i, I do want to move into the monster aspect because really if you're going to see a movie called godzilla minus one the human story and the human element is great and if they can do it right and if they can pull it off right and if they can make you feel something and give you emotion and give you a story that you care about that you care about seeing on the screen for 20, 30 minutes at a time when you're not watching the, the monster. That's great. But really what you're coming for, the star of the show, is the monster. It is Godzilla that you've come to see this movie for. And 
wow, did they do Godzilla right. Like I said, I, I thought it was cool that they start out with Godzilla just being a, a regular creature. I mean, he's still a creature. He still comes from the depths of the ocean. Uh, there's still a story to tell, maybe, uh, another prequel that explains where he even came from. If you even need that, do you need to know where he came from or just that he, he came from somewhere, somewhere in the deep and maybe a hole in the hollow earth? Who knows? But you see him and he's more of a regular dinosaur type monster. Still huge, still bigger than most dinosaurs. But I thought they did a, a really good job making him look younger, making him look smaller, making him look, like I said, more of a dinosaur. When he attacked that beach, you saw him biting guys in half. It was carnage and mayhem, Jurassic Park style. And, and I really enjoyed that. But then after this attack, you see that the events of the Bikini Atoll, which happened in 1946, after the end of the war, the U.S. was still testing uh, atomic bombs, and you see the radiation from that affecting Godzilla, and that is what turns Godzilla into the monster we know, because the next time we see him, and I can't remember specifically how many, like if it's a year later or what the time passage is, but Godzilla has mutated into the monster that we know. And, and I love the design on this monster. It felt very much akin to and inspired by the traditional Godzilla look from, you know, from 1954 when it was some guy in a suit standing upright, but, uh, but it looked gnarly. His face looked all, uh, you know, bumped and growths and, and like he was affected by radiation. And you've got these almost like these tumors all over his body. And he just looked menacing and mean and and i know that that was one of the things toho wanted to do and the director takashi yamazaki wanted to do was make this godzilla the most fearsome looking godzilla the scariest looking godzilla that has has come out to date and and i think they did a really good job at it because there are just so many scenes where he just looked creepy and scary and Godzilla over the years you know in some of those early films yeah it's obviously a guy in a, a foam latex suit or a rubber suit uh, in the more recent Godzilla's Godzilla's all CG and then this Godzilla was CG for the most part part of me wanted to say they used some practical somewhere I mean some of the shots looked practical, but I'm pretty sure there was all CG. It was just such a great, great look. But but even the Godzilla now that we get is all, you know, he's the anti-hero. He is the misunderstood monster. Whereas this took Godzilla back to his roots. He is just a godlike monster that is coming out of the ocean not to bring balance to nature or some sort of hippy-dippy bullshit like that. He has come to destroy because humanity has mutated him with nuclear energy and messing with shit they shouldn't be messing with and defying nature. And they have created a monster and this monster is unleashing hell in the form of atomic breath, which we'll get into that here before too long. But I, I liked it because Godzilla was the bad guy in this. There was no... You know, cute and cuddly Godzilla. Godzilla's going to save the day. Godzilla's just misunderstood. Godzilla's just a, a creature that's that's here to, to 
make everything kumbaya. This was a badass Godzilla. This was a menacing Godzilla. This is a Godzilla you should be afraid of. And and they did that very well. That one ta- attack where Noriko is on the train, that was really chilling to watch that. Uh, that's, I think, where we got the first look at his, his nuclear breath or his atomic breath. The scene in the ocean where Shikishima and, and those other guys, they're uh, in these wooden boats and they're sweeping the ocean for mines that have been left over by the Americans and the Japanese. They're trying to collect those mines and Godzilla shows up. And I loved that scene for multiple reasons because, one, it was a good scene. Godzilla swimming after these boats just was very chilling and very frightening. I I think that's probably the first time in a Godzilla movie I ever really felt like afraid for our heroes. And, you know, watching him and just the spikes coming up, it felt very much like Jaws. And I loved how they they kind of played off that. I think there was definitely an homage to Jaws in that from Takashi Yamazaki, the writer and director of this movie, because there's very much that scene where they set out the the mines. They had a couple mines that they were going to use to try and uh, kill Godzilla. And of course, one of them gets lodged in his mouth. And then you have uh, Shikishima, who is is shooting at it to blow it up. Very much like Roy Scheider in Jaws. Uh, very akin to that. But just like I said, those, those spikes coming up off his back, almost like the dorsal fin on Jaws, cutting through the water, was just very, like I said, menacing and kind of scary. Godzilla felt like a monster in this movie. Now, there was a little bit in this movie that felt a little long, and it felt like they did get away from Godzilla a little too long, and that was after the events of all this, Noriko's gone, can assume dead. Shikishima is, is decided that he is going to sacrifice himself and be the kamikaze that he couldn't be in the war and sacrifice himself by, you know, running a plane full of explosives into Godzilla. But they're concocting this plan. The government won't help them out. The United States government, they couldn't help at this time because they were worried about uh, the Soviets and felt like any military movement the Soviets might look at as a a threat. Uh, The Japanese government would not help with Godzilla because of bureaucracy. So you have the the people of Japan and, and some military folks, but, but mainly the people of Japan coming up with an idea and, and working together to come up with a solution. And it was that planning period that did kind of feel like a drug out a little bit. But it was still very interesting. I, I liked how they came up with a way to defeat Godzilla using the uh, Freon bubbles to, to sink him into this trench. And if that didn't work, they were going to blow up these inflatable buoys or what have you to bring him to the surface too fast and essentially give him the bends and and i like how they had a plan they had a backup plan it all seemed very sound in science or at least science fiction for all of that taking probably a little too long to get out it was very interesting but i did like how it all went awry and shikishima did have to fly the plane into his mouth and blow it up and it was it was kind of gruesome you know seeing Godzilla's head blown up but the ejector seat was put in there and you know our our hero 
hero saves the day and doesn't have to sacrifice himself to do so. Uh, that was all very cool. It led to an interesting scene. Uh, I can't remember if it was a scene at the end of the movie or a mid credit scene, but it's established early because of the, the nuclear uh, radiation mutation in him. He can heal very fast, and we start to see the remains start to bubble and reform, and and Godzilla will be back. Uh, I know that Takashi Yamazaki is is wanting to do a, a sequel to this. Uh, he he pretty much put it out there. If if we the the viewing audience want him to, he'll do it. Uh, so I imagine we'll see a sequel to Godzilla minus one. But it was very smart to to give our heroes a, a satisfying end, but to not take Godzilla out of the picture because one, this is a prequel to a lot of movies, even though they're never Godzilla's never really cared about the the franchise has never really cared about continuity. It's just a let's make a new Godzilla movie and we'll throw it in somewhere. Doesn't matter what came before or what's going to come after, but leaving that piece on the board is still very smart, and uh, I, I can't wait to see them do a sequel. And in spite of all that, so many great things about this movie. Like I said, the human element, the human story in this was engaging and, and heartfelt, and it, it made you care. You made you care about the story, it made you care about the characters. Godzilla was a, a monstrosity that was very... Like I said, menacing, and Godzilla felt like a monster to be feared. Uh, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but his atomic breath. I mean, we've seen that in a lot of Godzilla movies over the decades. We see it in all the latest Godzilla movies. There's a movie coming out in 2024 that we're going to talk about briefly coming up. Uh, that's, you know, he uses that atomic breath, but I don't think the atomic breath has ever been done quite so literal and quite so devastating because in this the atomic breath once it hits something we get to see almost like a nuclear explosion it, it makes the atomic breath quite literally atomic breath and you see the mushroom cloud form and and to me that was i think a smart move on the part of the director and writer uh, it, it's also i think a very chilling thing to place this monster with this sort of power, this atomic breath that sets off essentially like a nuclear bomb in a nation that was just devastated by two nuclear bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, and the look on people's faces, uh, the look on the, the Japanese characters uh, when they see this go off, it is, it is almost like a PTSD we just had this happen, and now this horror is revisiting itself on our soil. And it was just, it was devastating to watch, both from a destruction on the screen standpoint and from a the context of what that country had gone through at this point in time during the events of this movie. It was, it was again, I, I use the word chilling a lot with this. And I think that's probably one of the best ways to describe the horror in this because it was chilling on so many levels. Chilling on a giant monster that is scary and going to bite me in half or destroy a city around me. And chilling in the context of uh, a nation of people that had just gone through all the horrors of war, all the horrors of, of nuclear destruction to have the horrors of this monster and the horrors of nuclear destruction coming from this monster revisited upon them. 
that to me is chilling and and played very well by the writing and the directing of this movie. But one of the most impressive things about this movie, besides, like I said, all of the the fine acting, the fine storytelling, the human characters with Godzilla had a great look. The destruction was fun in a horrifying way. Uh, all the subtext, all of the themes that they play through, uh, survivor's guilt, PTSD, uh, the toils of war, that sort of thing. Not to mention the amazing score of this movie that added so much uh, so much menace and so much heart and emotion to this movie. And they even added notes of that uh, original, some of those original Godzilla movies, some of those musical cues and musical stings that let you know Godzilla is there. They, they drew from some of the, the scores of the past Godzilla movies. But probably the most impressive thing wasn't even anything that was on the screen. Well, I, I take that back. I can't say that completely. Because the special effects in this, the look of Godzilla was amazing. But pulling off that look with CG, this movie only cost $15 million to make. I've seen movies, and I hate to, to beat a dead horse, but Marvel comes to, to mind where you have movies and TV series that cost 23 times as much. You've got a lot of Marvel movies that are 300, 350 million dollars and they don't pull off the CG half as well as this movie did for just 15 million dollars. And that probably is the most impressive thing. You have a movie that on scale is just as big if not bigger than so many Marvel and and other movies that you know that have come out in recent years, that they're spending hundreds of million dollars on these blockbusters and can't pull off a quarter of what Takashi Yamazaki did with this movie uh, on just a fifteen million dollar budget. And this this isn't the only film. There have been several films that I've seen that have come out recently where the budget has been fairly modest, but they use the budget well. Uh, Creator is another one where they didn't spend near as much on that film as a lot of these big CG fest blockbusters do, and it still looked good, and it still had a great futuristic sci-fi look to it because they used a a lot of cost-effective film tricks as far as filming. They used a lot of practical. They enhanced practical with CG. I think that's probably uh, a lot of what happened here is you used a lot of practical enhanced with CG and they spent their money wisely and effectively. And if this is proof and proof positive, what you can do with a, and not like $15 million is a little amount of money, but what you can do with a modest amount of money filmmaking wise, what you can do with it that just blows some of the competitors that are spending, like I said, 23 times as much, uh, blows them out of the water. And I think that is probably one of the most impressive things about this movie. And one of the things I loved about this movie, this movie had everything I wanted in a Godzilla film. It had human characters that I cared about, human characters I felt something for. It had Godzilla as a bad guy. And it's not to say he has to be the bad guy all the time, but, you know, I've, I've had good guy Godzilla shoved down my throat for the past several years coming out of Hollywood because you know that's what sells toys is the good guy and I wanted to see Godzilla go back to his roots be the monster coming from the deep just wreaking havoc and 
effing shit up. And you got that with this movie. And it looked great. It looked like a blockbuster that cost so much more than it actually did. And it's it's done well enough. I, I know last I looked, it's made its money back. It's probably done about just under $40 million here in the States. I know that Toho has uh, extended its theatrical release here in the United States. I'm hoping, and I've seen a lot of really good reviews. Everyone is loving this movie. And hopefully that encourages people to go out and watch it. And, you know, if you want monster movies like this, if you want movies that look like a $300 million movie that are done uh, for for a fraction of that, if you want to see that little amount of money turned into something bigger than it should be, you got to support these movies. And if you want good quality filmmaking, you got to go out and support it. That means going to the movie theater. That means not wait until it comes out on streaming. I know, I you know, I know that probably pisses a lot of people off. Well, this economy and and I don't make a lot of money. Yeah, neither do I. But you know what? I, I still go out and support these movies. You just gotta instead of buying fast food again, uh, save that fast food money that probably going to cost you about as much as a movie ticket anymore and and go support these films and then you can't say that uh well you know there's never any good movies out there there's never any original ideas all i get is hollywood shit and you can't complain about that if you don't go out and support these movies and we're going to see if legendary uh, learns anything from this because Legendary has a new Godzilla movie coming out in 2024. They just dropped a trailer. Uh, I'll have that up on our Facebook page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook. Uh, so you'll be able to check that out. But Godzilla X Kong, the new empire, it's a sequel to Godzilla versus Kong. It, I don't know. It's just, it looks, it looks like it might be interesting. They're delving more into that hollow earth. They've got this new bad guy. He's kind of a, a King Kong, even bigger than King Kong type ape uh, kaiju. They play a lot with pinks and blues. Of course, Godzilla's power, his his scales on his back have always been blue. And they're showing him pink. And I know the movie world, all the fan world, is just up in arms over this. Uh, pink is a girl color. Uh, you can't say that. That's 2023. Pink can be whatever color they want. Everybody's worried about the damn color of his spikes. I don't like change for change's sake. I can see the... The movie maker is being like, oh, let's do something different. Let's make his spikes pink when he uses his atomic breath. But they they are showing, I think, a small fraction of a bigger story. There is some power. There's these pink crystals down in the hollow earth. I think it is just something else that Godzilla has is drawing power from another kind of radiation that he's drawing power from that is going to power him up to to help King Kong defeat this this new bad guy. Uh, I don't think it's going to be like that forever. It's not turning into Godzilla Barbie edition or any shit like that that I've seen. At least I hope not. Uh, I don't think people need to get their panties in a twist over this. I, I do know one thing. Is the, the CG looks uh, uh, much to be desired in some of these scenes. Maybe these scenes... Uh, the shots aren't completed CG wise, but like some of the CG looks really janky. I know that one scene where Godzilla and King Kong are are running together. Godzilla has his new pink do. Uh, King Kong's got a power glove, and they're running towards some big bad guy to to fight it. 
and the CG looks really shitty in that scene. So hopefully they're still working on it. Hopefully they'll they'll clean that shit up. And uh, you know, there again, this is probably a multi-hundred million dollar movie that isn't probably going to look half as good as the $15 million Godzilla minus one. But I also think that the, the filmmakers got to pay a little more respect to Godzilla and and the Godzilla we've seen and the Godzilla hardcore fans want to see. And I think that's one of the things that Toho did right with this movie, Godzilla Minus One. And what they do with a lot of Godzilla movies is that Toho gives a shit about the legacy of Godzilla. Whereas in Hollywood and America, they don't so much. I mean, Godzilla is is almost as a character, as a national treasure in Japan, because this is like one of the the biggest monsters to come out of Japan pop culture wise. And they have a lot of love and reverence for this character of Godzilla. And and when Toho is putting out these Godzilla movies, yeah, some are better than others, but there's always that reverence for Godzilla the creature and Godzilla the Japanese icon that I, I sometimes worry you don't get as much with the the American, the Hollywood versions of Godzilla. But we'll find out in 2024 how that all plays out with Godzilla X-Kong, the new empire, the latest in the line of legendary Hollywood Godzilla films. This one's going to be directed by Adam Wingard. So, uh, yeah, good director. Uh, I'm hoping hoping this is a good film. It's got Dan Stevens in it. I like Dan Stevens. So uh, excited to see him. And we'll see how it goes. But I tell you what, if you're on the fence about Godzilla X-Kong, the new empire, you won't be about Godzilla Minus One. That is a really good quality Godzilla film. And I encourage everyone to go check it out. Check it out in the movie theaters while you still can. Don't wait till it comes out on streaming. Uh, check it out now. And want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Godzilla Minus One. If not one of the best movies of the year, it's definitely one of the best, if not the best, sci-fi movie of the year. Uh, one of the best, if not the best, monster movie of the year. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm going to collect my thoughts, and when we do our end-of-year show, I always like to talk about my favorites and things I thought were the best of the year. I know that's always subjective, but uh, you'll hear my thoughts. And I'm pretty sure Godzilla Minus One is going to be coming up somewhere in that conversation. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Godzilla Minus One. You can check out more on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop's uh, social media pages, Facebook and Instagram. We're always posting about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. No matter where you listen to this podcast, uh, please follow, like, subscribe to it. That way you can stay on top of all the latest uh, new episodes, all the bonus content that we put out. Uh, you can stay on top of that by liking, following, subscribing. Uh, please share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And please leave those reviews. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever review you leave, we do appreciate that. So until next time, Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!